going to come up on the screen. Uh, so let's read together. This is Paul writing to a group of Christians in a place called Corinth, Corinth, should I say, uh, talking about his weaknesses and what he does with them. I must go on boasting, says Paul. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one's permitted to tell. I'll boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than's warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Father, we thank you that you speak today. And we pray now for Judy as she comes. Speak through her, we ask. We want to hear the very words of God. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Well, we're looking at uh, some ands of the Christian faith, uh, some paradoxes, if you like, of uh, strength and weaknesses, rich and poor. And today is looking at strength and weakness, how they both sit centrally in the Christian faith, as we just heard in this passage. And we embrace the tensions of faith by saying, when we are weak, then we are strong. And this part of Paul's letter uh, in 2 Corinthians really does give us some help, I think, in understanding our own fragility. And if you're not a believer, if you're not someone of faith, you may have thought that actually you had to be strong to be a Christian. Often that is a view that is held or given or projected even. But actually the opposite can be true that is our very fragility, whether that's sin or whether it's areas of weakness, ill health, whatever it might be, that throw us into the power and mercy and grace of Jesus. And so this passage is a poignant reminder to all of us that actually our very fragility can be used by God for his glory and also he will meet our needs in Jesus. So let's look a little bit at, at the passage itself. Paul begins uh, by saying that he's um, going to boast. Now, the reason he does that, we might think, well, that's not very uh, good. We don't encourage boasting. But actually, people have been having a go at him. 
So he's replying in this letter to people who've been making his life really difficult by saying he wasn't strong enough, that he wasn't this Adonis that they needed him to be in the Corinthian church, that he wasn't as strong as they wanted him to be. If you think of Achilles and some of the ancient Greek figures, that's what they celebrated. And in fact, so much so that the Corinthian culture was, if God cared about you, you would be successful. You would be successful in health, you would do well in life because of God's favour. And actually, sometimes culture shapes our faith without us realising it. And that's what's happened in Corinth, that actually this really strong culture of success has actually got into the faith that, that Paul is actually proclaiming. And so he has to come against it with clarity. And we, in our world, I think have very similar things going on in our culture that celebrate success, that celebrate strength, that celebrate health and fitness and everything going well for you. And suddenly when you have a crack, when you have a flaw, when you have a frailty, it might be easy to attach the message to that, that God has forgotten you. And Paul really is going to encourage us if that is our reality today. Uh, Some of you will know that one of my favourite films uh, growing up and still today probably uh, is a film called The Little Bear and uh, it was filmed in Canada. It's actually a a proper, using actual proper scenery, it's not an animated film. I don't know if you can still get it on Netflix, it might be too old now, I don't know, but have a look, The Little Bear. Um, And it's about really the training of a little bear and his father bear in the, the Canadian mountains. And what happens, you see the way that the little bear follows the father bear around, learns to scratch his back on the bark of the tree when he's itchy, learns to fish from the river with his paws. And all the time, the little bear is copying the father bear. And he's even learning to hunt. He's learning to chase for food. And he's learning that actually, even though he's very, very little, that actually he has a role to play in the wild. And uh, he sees his father roar when there is danger he sees the stature of his father with his paws outstretched and you see all of this growing until one day that fateful day when the little bear is lost and alone on the hillside of the Canadian mountains without his father bear. He's picked off and he's alone. And suddenly, the camera pans out to see this huge, vicious mountain lion. And you watch the little bear in comparison, a bit like David and Goliath that we're looking at in the all-age service, the comparison that is projected on the screen, this tiny little fragile bear and this huge roaring lion. And the little bear tries in his panic to remember what it is that his father has taught him. So he stretches to his full height, uh, which is not very high, and tries really hard to roar at the lion. And this little croak comes out that you hear in the film, which is just this minuscule little, almost like he's clearing his throat. It's so tiny. And the lion flees. So suddenly the camera pans out, the lion looks in absolute horror at what's happened, cowers away and runs off. And you're thinking, this is weird. And then, of course, the camera pans out even further. And way back in the shadows is the father bear, huge, with his paws outstretched. His presence is actually what made the lion flee. The power, the posture, the presence of the Father. 
And I come back to that even though I've shared it before because it's a beautiful reminder to us that we are that little bear, all of us. Every single one of us, if we haven't today, will have fragility, maybe tomorrow, that makes us feel that our prayer life, or if we have one, our life itself is like that tiny little cough of the bear and that tiny little stretch that seems so ineffectual compared to the mountain lion we face. And yet, we have a father who says he will never leave us or forsake us who says actually that his power is made perfect in that weakness. And that's a great example of that. And I've learned in leadership over the years that fragility is really, really important. And I think increasingly as our world becomes more fragile in many ways and we don't know what's going on globally, we will need to, each of us, be more and more open about our fears and our weaknesses so that we can gain courage from one another, uh, encouragement as we cheer one another on. Uh, when I first started in leadership, I was um, very nervous, as you can imagine, and uh, this was part of Salt Mine Trust uh, many years ago. My life then was really good. I was doing my dream job with a dream group of people. My health was good. I was with a man that I thought I was going to get married to. We were happy. My life was pretty good. And if I'm honest, I kind of probably had a bit of pride about that. I thought, God is good to me. I am having a good time. And I would tell people about my faith and how good God was being to me. And, and as Paul says, that can often get a little bit linked to pride because all was going well. And then this guy came up and he said, oh, I gather you're joining the, the leadership team in Salt and I want to give you something that my wife and I saw when we were out shopping that reminded us of you. And I thought, well, this could go either way. Uh, you'd never quite know what that's going to be. But uh, what it was was a, a candle holder um, to put a tea light in. And it was covered in beautiful handmade paper but actually, there were a lot of very, very torn and very fragile parts that were covering the tea light all around it. Handmade paper with rips in it and little, little fragile bits. And he said, Judy, I think you will have a ministry of that kind of fragility. Now, you don't really want that, do you? <laughs> you know, when life's going well, you think, oh, that's nice, but I think I'd like the kind of powerful one where everything goes well for me and I'm this radiant, glowing example of that. But, uh, but no, apparently that was not the way it was going to be. And I hung on to this for many years. I'm not sure quite where it is now. I might have lost it in the move, but I, I definitely had it for many years as an example and a reminder to me that actually that is part of my ministry and, I believe, actually all of our lives because my life then did take a very different turn from how I thought it would be. It's still good, but there's real brokenness at the heart of me and there is fragility that makes me really deeply reliant on Christ and his power in my weakness. So when Paul says in verse 1, I must go on boasting, he's being a bit cheeky. He's being ironic even in that he's saying, OK, all you guys who are my critics, who incidentally called him a fool and a clown, they were boasting that they were more spiritual than him, that they had life sus, that they were having amazing divine encounters. Have you ever felt like that, just floored by another Christian's faith because they seem to have this amazing hotline where everything is happening all the time and it can diminish us? And so Paul says, okay then, if we're boasting, I'll boast. I'll boast of something if we're in it, if we're having a competition. I'll tell you what I'll boast about. I'll boast about my weaknesses. 
I'll, I'll boast about my need for Christ and my reliance on him in all things. So he's having a bit of a play there, but he's truthful. He's saying, that's what I'll boast about. And he says, and I find this quite funny, he says, kind of, beware of the super apostles, beware of the super spiritual people. And whilst we would all want to be dynamic, superly spiritual people, I would just say that actually sometimes when you have a really deep encounter with God and the Holy Spirit, you can't really put it into words. You can't really describe it at length to the person opposite you or your colleague because A, they probably wouldn't make much sense of it, but actually it can scare people off. Some of the moments we have with Christ are the most intimate ones and they're precious, um, but they can't always be described. So don't be deflated if you hear other people's descriptions of all that's going on. Some of the most profound things that God is doing in us are inexplicable and inexpressible. And this makes me laugh because it reminds me of many film scripts and things. You know the bit where um, somebody always says, oh, I'm asking for a friend, you know, in soap operas, or it's not me, but I just wondered, is there any help available for whatever? And Paul does that a little bit. He, he plays a little bit with us, I think, here, because he says, I know a man in Christ who had 14 years ago had this phenomenal spiritual encounter. Now, aren't you glad that for Paul, it's 14 years ago? You know, it wasn't happening every day before breakfast. It was 14 years before he writes to Corinthians. And it's like nothing else. It's not even like his Damascus Road experience, which he had as part of his conversion. And he is caught up, and he talks about it in the third person. He says, I know that man was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things. Note the inexpressible there. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. And he says that actually this encounter gave strength to him. And if you and I are looking for strength in what we're facing, encounters with the Spirit of God will do that for us. As we worship God even today, even in this place, even with a brilliant band leading us, there will be something of God's Spirit fortifying us for what is ahead, giving strength to us. You know, the word courage comes from heart, core in French or Latin, Um, and actually to give courage to. One of the reasons it's so brilliant that you're here is because this is a place to give courage to us, to give strength to us uh, within our weaknesses. And Paul says he's had all this. He's had this amazing time 14 years ago, which is still amazing. And he could have then thought, I'm a little bit special here. I've got this incredible encounter, kind of, he says it was like a a foretaste of heavenly experience and there'll be some here who will have had those, but others who may not have done. And he says, but to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn. And then he says something a little bit bewildering, a messenger of Satan to torment me, or some translations say buffet me, to discourage me, to take courage out of me, maybe. And what is lovely about Paul, I think, sometimes you think, oh, can you just tell us what the thorn is? But I think if he did, it would exclude so many of us. 
But he doesn't. He just says, I have been given something that I have tried to pray away for you know, three times, but it's still with me. Now, some commentaries say it's to do with his sight. Others say it might have been epilepsy. Uh, he says certainly it's, a, it's something in the flesh that he was dealing with. Some say depression. Others say it might have been a recurrent sin that he just couldn't throw off, that, that he was struggling with. But whatever it was, it kept him prayerful. And it kept him really relying on God. But interestingly, if you look at the text, it doesn't say that God didn't send the the thorn. The messenger bit is almost like there's a little label attached to it in Paul's mind that says, this is from the enemy. And what I think that means is when we have trials, when we have weaknesses, it's easy for us to tie a message to that that is a kind of discouraging message, that we are not loved, that we are worthy of rejection, that we are uh, somehow not as good a prayer as the person who God heals, whatever it might be. And so if you like, Paul's saying, the enemy tied a message to my thorn that was discouraging. It wasn't from him, but he tied a message to it that could have broken me. But he's chosen the other way. Paul has chosen to say, well, God, I'm going to pray that it will go away. And he does. And he says he does that three times. And I think that's brutally honest for him to say this to a church that are already mocking him. And to say, do you know, I tried three times to pray this away. But for whatever reason, it is still here. And what I do know is it makes God's power way, way, way more important in my life. Uh, Some of you know that I've just been to Korea and uh, got back safely uh, last Sunday working with Release Women. I'm working with North Korean defectors, uh, some of whom are just days out of North Korea. And I went with some trepidation. Some of you know it was delayed from a a year ago and uh, when my dad was really ill and various things meant that we couldn't go as a team. Uh, But we went in and certainly my flaws felt very obvious to me uh, with these powerhouse women that I went with and uh, they didn't seem scared at all. But I was a little bit nervous uh, at at certain points in the the trip uh, and certainly felt sometimes like the weak link of the team. But what was incredible was we were told as soon as we got off the plane, because it had been delayed, that we couldn't even go to our quarters or whatever. We had to go straight and meet some brand new North Korean defectors who were in one room uh, under a car park area. And we were all a bit jet lagged, a bit spaced, not really ready with anything much to say. And we walked in to this room to the most thunderous applause, and North Koreans applause like this, (laughs) so still in this sort of rhythmic uh, applause, because obviously that's how they've been taught, and just a standing ovation of clapping and joy and people speaking in tongues for these North Koreans who have literally just, some of them, been filled with the Spirit. They don't know what is going on for them. Um, And it Apps, and I w- I'd promise not to cry. One of the things they say with the drill is North Koreans don't cope with much facial emotion. So it's a bit of a liability to take me, to be honest. But I've been practicing my blank expression uh, when this happened. And, and tears just streamed down my face. The leader went, good neutral expression, GD, well done. <laughs> um, <laughs> didn't quite pull that off. But it just absolutely floored me that they have been, some of them, through absolute hell. 
And yet there they were, tangibly joyful and so grateful that we'd come. And they couldn't believe that we had come. They, they have a real thing that they're the forgotten people in North Korea. So to see their joy and then to have the privilege of staying on one of their floors, a lady called Mrs. Gu, not her real name, but that was her code name, Mrs. Gu, who had defected out of North Korea and had risked her life really jumping onto a ship where her son saw them shooting and thought that she had died, but she actually made it onto the ship. She had never, ever been taught about Jesus in North Korea, but one morning when she was washing uh, at sunrise, washing some clothes, she said she heard an audible voice when there was nobody there. And she turned, thinking it was her husband, and heard a voice just saying, you are my child and I love you. And they don't know the word love. They don't know the word love unless it's for the state. That's the only way the word love is used. And it was only when she first read a gospel that she said, this is the God who spoke to me in North Korea. And since defecting, she's found faith. She hosted five of us on her floor. But the interesting thing is she had been through acute poverty, being shot at, uh, never knowing whether she would live or die. And I said, how did you have that courage, Mrs. Goo? And she said, I died a long time before when she was in North Korea. In other words, she sees every day as a gift now, every day as a blessing every hour of every day as a gift. And she's one of the students now on a scheme where they're teaching the Bible, a discipleship scheme, the voice of the martyrs there are involved with teaching North Koreans to be disciples of Jesus. And she said, can I tell you about the worst time of my life? And I thought, really, it gets worse, because <laughs> I thought that was pretty horrific. But she said, oh no, the worst than anything that happened in North Korea was when I was thrown off the discipleship course. And she was thrown off for six months because she joined three different churches in South Korea who were all giving money to North Korean defectors. And she actually basically was receiving three when you're only allowed to receive one. And she was asked to leave and asked to not study for six months. And she said the shame of that time was the hardest time of her life, worse than poverty, worse than anything, because she said, I felt like my, my Lord was ashamed of me. And she said, I just spent that time praying. And she said, that has been the most strengthening time of her journey, has been that time when she just confessed to God, found his grace, found his forgiveness, and found his mercy. And there are so many stories, and perhaps over the weeks I'll, I'll share a few more, but just so many stories of incredible, incredible weakness, but incredible strength from God uh, and, and from his people, which as we say, as we give courage to one another, uh, God can do incredible things. And Paul ends by saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So actually, as we prayerfully come to respond today, let's offer him the very weaknesses that actually perhaps we've tried to pray away, that actually at the moment perhaps we do have that health condition, perhaps we are battling with depression, perhaps we have got a thorn that we've had for many years and we've trusted that God will take it away, but it's still with us. To actually maybe look at it another way, a fresh way, and say to God, while I still have this, for as long as I do, 
would you give me the grace that is sufficient, that power that is made perfect in weakness? And actually, it's power. It's not even strength, the word. It's power that is in that weakness. That actually, that is how, just like my little tea light holder, that is how the light of Christ will shine through our lives, through those fragile times, not through the successes, interestingly enough, but actually sometimes through our brokenness, through our reliance on God, and through how he brings us through the storms, like Mrs. Goo actually bringing us through to confession, to leaning on his grace, to leaning on his mercy with all of our hearts. We're going to respond by looking at this final uh, couple of verses together so that each of us can kind of put our name in there with some of the weaknesses we hold. And we've got a little response card for each of us to take away to actually put our name in here. But the Lord said to me, Judy, my grace is enough for you. For when you are weak, then my power is made perfect in you. So I am very happy to boast about my weaknesses. Then Christ's power can live in me. And I am happy because when I am weak, then I am truly strong. And maybe you could put that somewhere in a Bible, on a fridge, something, just to remind you this week, if you are struggling in any area, and I would think almost every one of us here will have that, that broken place, that weakness that actually God longs to bring his power to, his strength to, because we have a faith that celebrates both. The strengthening of the Holy Spirit, it was Pentecost last week, and uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is encourager, to give courage to us. So I'm going to ask the band to come up. I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, during the song, when you feel ready, uh, do just come up, please, and take one of these. Uh, um, and actually, a pen as well is available. And just fill your name in there and uh, say that prayer for you um, as we come to a close. Let's just be still before God. Brené Brown says, Vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage are not always comfortable, but they are never weakness.